Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi there. I'm Lauren McGoodwin, founder and CEO of Career Contessa, and you're listening to the Females Podcast Summer School Edition. This season, we're heading back to school. Career school, that is with experts here to teach us the ins and outs of specific topics. Today's teacher is Joan Cole, the founder of Courage to Stay, author of Dig Your Heels, and an advocate for corporate inclusivity. Joan's work helps women who are thinking of jumping ship from the corporate world assess their options, build career endurance, and start having the courageous conversations they need to create the change they deserve. And creating change is exactly why we've asked Joan to join us today. For many women, we identify as being a people pleaser and putting the needs of others ahead of our own. And that quest to be well-liked is not exactly leading to the professional results we hoped for, but Joan has some great advice to help us all overcome that. And because we're here for that real talk advice, be sure to stick around till after Joan's teachable moment, because we'll be answering your listener questions, starting with how do you manage your workload when you have multiple managers who all give you work to do. You can submit your career questions for us to answer on future episodes by leaving us a voicemail at 844-FEMALES. And now this is the Females Summer School Edition. Hi, Joan. Thanks for joining us today all the way from New York. Yes, absolutely. Love to be with you, Lauren. So we, before we get into the tips for overcoming the dreaded people-pleasing syndrome, let's talk about your work with Courage to Stay, and you can kind of explain what it is and how you're helping women and companies. Sure. So right now in popular culture and the messages you hear so often in the media, they're really encouraging women to jump ship, to look for that bigger title, the promotion, more pay, find a new position, or, you know, just do their own thing, start a business, become a girl boss. Right. But what happens is, yeah, it leaves this huge gap in companies because we still haven't closed the gender gap and, you know, equality isn't there for us yet. So what I believe is that we really need uh, young women and girls, you know, for them to achieve their dreams, we've got to make sure that the women that are working right now, they're in their prime, that they're thriving and that they feel like everything that they want and deserve is accessible to them. And that's ultimately where I'm trying to help women build some courage and some endurance so they can stand up, they can speak out, and they can start to disrupt the bias that is present in, in, in pretty much every industry. 
And so, you know, the Courage to Stay movement, what we do is we try to show women how they can create those shifts and develop these opportunities, everything that they crave where they are today and, and, and honor the passion and the meaning and the purpose that they want. But, you know, you really have to play an active role and be a positive catalyst in turning around. And you can't do it alone. We definitely need our allies. And that's where a lot of the work and the workshops that I build help women really think about who they need in their corner, um, both women and men. And I was just going to share with you, you know, what's interesting is when women talk about when they come to me and they're, they're contemplating these big transitions, you know, navigating that decision, should I stay or should I go? Um, you know, I talk them through, okay, well, let's say you leave and you hit a wall at your new company. You know, you know the problems at your current company, but you don't know exactly what you're going to encounter there. I mean, how many times, you know, can you go through this decision of digging your heels in or jumping ship before you burn out? And really think about what you can gain by following the women who've stayed and succeeded. And, and there's actually an episode on NPR radio that was about women in sports, specifically women in baseball. And I've been working with New York Mets in Major League Baseball, um, two extraordinary female trailblazers, uh, Holly Lindvall, she's the, the Senior Vice President of Human Resources and Diversity at the Mets, and then Renee Tirado. She is the first ever Chief Diversity Officer for Major League Baseball. So I know, you know what we've been trying to work through in that field. And there was this interview on this episode of NPR where the New York Yankees, Jean Afterman, she's one of the, the only three, one, one of only three women who've actually risen to that assistant general manager in baseball. She was quoted saying that I've been honored to sometimes be referred to as a trailblazer, but it's pretty exhausting when you blaze the trail and there's nobody following up behind you. You know, she's 62 years old. And so that just kind of drives home my point that we need women to stay in the game and really play that long game to 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 transform these organizations to be what we deserve. Right, right. I like that you use the word endurance, too, because I do think that that is kind of what you need in order to stay with yeah. it. But I, I, I completely 100% agree also about the fact that there are other options that have almost been over glamorized. And so I, I do think people leave companies because they're looking for um, something that the reality, you know, the reality is not what it was, what, what they're looking at on Instagram, for example. I know that's like an overused yeah. example, but it's like, and this happens a lot with entrepreneurship. It's like, oh, you're not happy at what you're doing. Just leave and start your own company. And, you know, as someone who went, went from the corporate world to entrepreneurship, it is so much harder to be an entrepreneur. Like there are, I mean, I, I get asked often, like, would you ever go back to working for a corporation? And I'm always like, yes, absolutely. Like if I loved the company and I loved the people I worked with, absolutely. Like I think there's become a, a, like a stigma that, you know, you got a side hustle, you got to be, as you said, a girl boss, start your own company. And those are not necessarily the answers to fulfilling careers, not for everyone at least. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, and Sophia Amoruso endorsed my new book because I we both believe girl boss is a mindset. It's not a specific career path. And um, I love that you said that about being open and willing to embrace, you know, a career onboarding back into corporate America. So, you know, 
we just really need to help everyone thoroughly think through those decisions. I think financially too, um, mm-hmm. yeah. and help women understand. But then we got to arm them with the tools and the strategies and the language so that they can go to battle because this isn't that easy. Yeah, I uh, I was I read some article the other day. I think it was on Fast Company. It was talking about how you know the the whole f- the gig economy and how they maybe overestimated not like Fast Company, but whoever the the research was about. They had overestimated how big and profitable the gig economy was going to be because people are actually now leaving the gig economy, which is like freelancing and all that great stuff and going back for companies. And as I think you brought up an important Mm -hmm. point, I think part of that is financial. It's like gig economy, it's stressful to not know when you're going to get paid next, maybe potentially, or you've, you know, what about that 401k or that health insurance? And so um, it was just an interesting article about how they maybe overestimated the gig economy and how big that was going to be, especially relating to millennials, which I know is your your other expertise. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you have to forward me that article, but I, you know, this is why I do a lot of work on the ground too um, with women's empowerment groups. Like I work with U.S. Soccer, um, a she believes champion, um, and you know, Girls Think of New York City being a board member because I want to stay in the conversation about what we are exposing young girls to and make sure that we are really holistic about the conversation about what the possibilities of their future are and that they they aren't only getting a, a biased message from like the media or what the sexy cool thing is out there that they really like you know very yeah. clearly and eyes wide open know where they can head and where they, where we need them mm-hmm. and i'm just curious before we get into like our lesson for today because sometimes i don't feel hypocritical but sometimes i think it's challenging to be an entrepreneur but be someone who's creating a company and a resource and, you know, a solution for women to, to stay in the workplace and you're kind of in the same shoes. So I, (laughs) it's more of a a selfish question for me to get to ask, like, do you ever feel like, well, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm doing my, you know, I'm doing these things under, you know, my own company, but it's to help women stay at a company. Like, do you ever feel like, has anyone ever said like, well, you're an entrepreneur, like, you know, maybe you shouldn't be the one telling people to stay in a company. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that came up when I decided to write a book. Yeah. You know, so this is what I I, I have found and what I really believe. I believe that when you're navigating that decision, that you have to think about, are you running away from something or are you running towards something? And I very clearly knew the impact I wanted to make on on young leaders, the next generation of leaders. When I decided to transition from corporate to launching Why Millennials Matter, I wanted to do it at scale. I wanted to, you know, my curiosity was, you know, do the things that I believe that work, that matter, that will start to break down all these uh, negative perceptions about young people and, you know, millennial stereotypes, you know, is this going to work across different industries? I really believed it could, and I really believed it was that pervasive. And I thought, I, I have the capacity and the curiosity to do this in a big way. And, you know, what's crazy, and you may have seen this too, since I've done consulting and research is... You can't fight the fact that sometimes you can influence business leaders and executives coming from the outside easier than from within. So I really believe I am a champion and I'm an ally to all those women and the men that are on our side inside companies having this external role because you know, you can't stop someone, you know, companies operate like humans. They're like, what are they doing? What's my competitor doing? Oh, we should get on board. What are their results? Oh, this company is doing that. They're so prestigious. We'll try it. And so I kind of pull those levers and believe that, you know, that part of my role and responsibility. And that's what I think you and I should both feel really fueled by that, 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 you know, that's the, the opportunity that we have to really champion them in a big way. 
Absolutely. Well, let's take a a little bit of a a switch in gears where we're going to talk about people-pleasing at work, which is usually the way people-pleasing is defined, at least when I was looking this up. It's it's usually the person who rarely says no, obsesses over things that they shouldn't, and just tries so hard to do all the things. There's probably a high probability that this person's also a woman, and really all this hard work is not really getting her ahead, you know, not getting her where she wants to be. So why is that? And how can we stop being people pleasers? Oh my gosh, it's a great topic. So I I see the idea of people pleasing as being pretty synonymous about two ideas that that I focus on in in my work. One is good girl thinking. The other is the myth of meritocracy. And I'll kind of talk you through some of the bias that comes up as well. Um, If we're talking about it in the workplace, like in the corporate sphere, when you are behaving like a good girl, that manifests in things like, oh, you know, you don't correct the client who walks in the room and addresses the man like they're the leader when you're really the one in charge. Mm -hmm. Or you pick up all the office housework. I'm sure that you've heard of that, you know, the note taking or, you know, the picking up the food for the office party. I mean, you know, you just do it because women are associated with those types of activities. And, you know, sometimes you feel like you'll just do it best and you'll just take care of it. But the problem is, is that doing those things, office housework, it, it takes you away from doing more credible activities that actually advance your career and are, are more attributed to, you know, being somebody that delivers results. So I think that the good girl thinking is it's this pressure to be nice, you know, because girls and women are nice, but not too nice because you don't want to be a pushover. Yeah. And you also <laughs> won't be seen as leadership material. And, you know, you want to be confident so that you can command respect, but, oh, not too confident. Are you going to seem like a bitch or too ambitious? You have to be forgiving, let things go. You have to be devoted because women should put their companies above their personal lives. But yet yeah. when they do that and they're mothers, then they're even judged more harshly. So it's just all very exhausting. And I, I, you know, I think about how much more we could achieve if we were more focused on being comfortable and being ourselves and letting our true perspective come through. And like the basis for a lot of this, what I've learned and studied is, is that it all boils back to that that lack of permission historically for us to really assert ourselves, you know, and handle conflict. We're never really taught the skills to say no. And my I have two daughters, and my oldest is a is a Girl Scout Daisy. You can become a Daisy when you're five. And the Girl Scouts now are actually even working on an initiative with a badge that that encourages girls to say. Like, no, they don't want to be hugged or, you know, touched by someone they don't know, even if it's a family member. I mean, think about that. Like the things that kind of you're conditioned to allow in your life at an early age, like a little boy can run away and scream and like, you know, throw out his tongue. (laughs) Whereas a little girl has to sit there with their legs crossed and like, hi to everybody and hug everybody. So, you know, this also, that second part that I said, this this stems from this this belief that's wrong, that we live in a meritocracy, that, you know, do your work, put yeah. your head down, smile, don't make waves, and you're going to get rewarded. And that's simply not true. But yet, that's why we do so well in the academic setting. You know, women, right. more women are graduating than men in 93 countries. And, you know, we're really good at getting all A's and checking the box. But guess what? It's not an even playing field. And we're not setting ourselves up for success. You know, we're not earning the same that we've got the wage gap, women earning 89 cents for every dollar a man earns in the millennial category. And it gets worse and worse as you get older. And if you're a woman of color. So, I mean, that's the things that I've learned about, you know, one hand, just having this language and understanding and being aware helps us fight back, you know, and, and kind of just 
understand with eyes wide open what we're walking into. The part about meritocracy is you've got to learn that relationships, how you leverage them, and how you make your work more visible, that overpowers the effects of merit. And and that's where women can fall short. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gosh, everything you said was <laughs> so good. And it's so true. And it's interesting because I feel like when you were describing, you know, what girls are doing, it works really well when you're in school, but it doesn't work well for real life. And I absolutely experienced that myself because I always say, like, I played the game of school so well, but then it was like crash and burn in real life because none of that mattered, you know, not yeah. there, there was no list for me to take. There was no professor who was going to give you a syllabus that you had to follow, like, you know, oh my goodness, it's it was just it was just a bit of a like catch twenty two, and I don't know is this is that like a millennial thing or is that no all, okay. no, no no I was gonna see if I can share a quick story yeah. you know I interviewed so many women for for dig your heels in and one woman Anne but but she wants to she wanted to remain anonymous she worked in the airline industry and she got hired right out of her MBA so she's someone that identifies as Gen X is why I'm sharing the story. So she, she got, she broke into this organization and she spent like a decade in that extreme job mode where she was working 60 hours a week. You know, she had moved away from her family. She wanted to prove her dedication to the company. And if you looked at it on paper, it looked like she was doing pretty well. She kept getting title promotions like every two years. She led this new acquisition. When she talks about what she did, she can talk about the innovations she led from customer service to like process improvement. I mean, she really did so much stuff and she had a boss that she felt like really appreciated her. So she speaks up after 10 years and says, you know, Hey, I think it's time that I get like a real promotion, move into a different department, you know, diversify my skills, lead a bigger team. And so they had a talent identification, which, you know, is a process most companies do where they look at who has potential and make some decisions. And this happens. Her boss comes back and says to her, you know, so the leaders in the room feel like you have a good reputation, but nobody knows what you actually do. That was like, you know, <laughs> oh, shock to the heart. Like the yeah. wake up call that she needed. She was like, wait a minute. I've been like counting on you all of this time to tell them, but come on. Like, he's just like taking on the, re the results right. and, you know, not that he didn't value her, but that was like her wake up call of like, oh my gosh, like I've been just killing myself and it's impacted personal decisions in my life. Like I should have been out there making those relationships, talking about what I'm doing, talking and you don't have to do it in a way that doesn't feel authentic. But if you don't sell yourself and get that brand out there, it's no one else is going to do it for you. Yeah. It's, it's a really good story. I'm sure, gosh, that must have really hurt for her to hear them. You know, no one really knows what you do. I'm curious too, like, what are the examples that you can give us where like an actual example of saying no potentially without actually saying the word no? Because I think I think part of what's hard about for especially for people pleasers and I definitely identify with that a little bit. I mean, I identify with definitely wanting to be liked, but also wanting to set boundaries and structure. But it's it feels like um, it, this always reminds me of like the high school teacher you had who, you know, started the year being the really nice guy and then got taken advantage of and then <laughs> decided we were all of a sudden going to have rules in the classroom. And everyone's like, oh, come on, you know, <laughs> like you're the science teacher. You don't have rules. But the point being is like it feels like you have to pick a lane, like you're either the person with structure and boundaries and nobody crosses you and so they're almost like intimidated by you or you're the guy who wants to be liked it, it, it just feels like a, a bit of a catch-22 and it's a hard to balance so can you give us an example of how you could be a nice person but also have these boundaries where people don't then walk away being like 
ew, like she's attacking yeah. me. You, you know what I mean? It feels like you always, like you could be the person who all of a sudden gets blamed for it too. Well, let's start with two facts. Okay. The first fact is that everybody can change and has the capacity to. So I have seen women and I have talked to women who were that wallflower or the person who shrunk, you know, was always shrinking themselves or completely walked all over the doormat, the people pleaser really wake up within and recognize that, you know what, I don't deserve this. And it did not happen overnight. And it takes allies and it really takes like the work, right? But you have to start with that belief. And sometimes there's some imposter syndrome there too, right? So fact is you can change. It just takes a dedication to it. But the other fact is that women have, uh, you know, suffer from the likability penalty, Mm -hmm. which is that as women express their ambition and they want to advance, advance, research shows that we're like less, you know, when men show that they're sort of an aggressive about their career, we believe, yep, they've got the potential to be a leader, you know, a woman, oh, she's about herself. So we've got to be aware of those things. And we got to work against them. And and this is, again, why we can't do this alone. And you need other women that you are really rallying around for this. But my strategy is what I call pause and engage. So it's three steps. So the first is when something happens, and this is more about in a situation where, you know, someone's pushing back on you and like kind of demanding something of you and, you know, that you don't react and you don't back down. If you, if you say no, like that's, that's actually not within my role or that's actually not something that I'm responsible for. And I have this other thing going on. You can get a pretty negative reaction, like for some of the most simple things. So you've got to not feed into the other person's emotion or their bias about the perspective. And that takes practice. This is all like building muscles, right? So that's step one. Step two is you've got to diffuse the situation temporarily. So sometimes when somebody is conditioned to believe that you're always going to do something for them, or they react negatively to you and you're trying to stand your ground, it's like the whole thing of don't let them see you sweat. Figuring out how to diffuse it so that you can get yourself some time on your side and get the power back in that situation. So, you know, saying to that person, you know what, let me come back to you. And you don't run away sheepishly. You walk away with confidence and you get your case together and you get back in there. And the third step is to run these situations by a friend, an ally, a sounding board, male or female. You've got to have people like that, that have seen you, you know, in professional situations and maybe personal too, that you can talk to them about this scenario or what you're going through or a situation that happened or where you're trying to say no and allow them to give you, you know, some, some insight so that you can build up that confidence. And, and then when like the emotions of a situation kind of cool down, you've got the power back on your side and you can go back in there. So I think you can use that for some of the smallest situations and even some of the most intense that women face, but you have to keep practicing. And that's why it's like, write this stuff down, think about right. it, visualization, and just keep trying. And and it's, it's, I think, really empowering when you prove to yourself that you're worth it, you know, to say no and protect your time. Mm-hmm. I like the part about finding other female allies that you can practice this with. I, I'm just curious, could it potentially turn into, let's say there's two women at work and they're having this, you know, uh, I don't want to call it a confrontation, but you know, they're having this meeting, they're both pausing and then coming back to engage. What happens if that turns into sort of like picking sides? Well, that's interesting. I, and I know. Fact, like, <laughs> I've thrown you for a loop here. <laughs> 
That's okay. Actually, it's something that I've been uh, looking into a lot because I'm getting a lot of questions about dynamics between women at work. And I, I studied uh, Joan C. Williams a lot. She's one of the experts in Lean In that talks about everything from kind of the you know maternal motherhood bias and that friction between women to uh, positional bias of, you know, kind of women that are more tenured and some of the friction they can have with women coming behind them. But yeah. I think in that situation, I think about it, like we think about what I'm working through with, with my daughter. And I'll give you an example. So you said like the whole ganging up or, or, or you know, maybe it's a, a group of men that those two women come back into and they just brush this off as a women's issue. Right. You got to bring the facts into the situation. You know, so I think it's one of those things where it, it depends on the situation. If it's a situation where, she, you know, she's just finally saying no because she's being tasked with things that clearly have some bias around it, like the office housework or, you know, for example, you know, when men stay late in the office, it's correlated with a 14% increase in their performance rating at the end of the year. You know what women get when they stay late? No increase at all in case, and, and in fact, they, they're looked at it as like, what's your problem? Why can't you get it done in efficient time? So anyway, it doesn't matter what the situation is, get, get the facts, I think, into the situation and talk about how this is not making this a fair, you know, place to work that respects everybody. With my daughter, we've been taking this course for the past couple of weeks that we completed that's called Grown Up and Girl by Girls Leadership. And what's interesting is, you know, at her age, she's five years old and kindergarten, they're teaching her tools to manage friendship. And I've been really watching it and thinking about, wow, these are the same things that we need for managing relationships at work. Like, for right. example, when somebody's doing something to you that you don't like, some of the things that she's learning to do is express her emotions because nobody's a mind reader. You know, just talk about what you're what you know what that made you feel like and what the specific thing was that happened and use eye contact and then if that person you know doesn't back down doesn't apologize which happens at work all the time that you walk away confidently not with a huff and a puff but you like you walk away and you you know you move on and and what's interesting is I think that I think about it with my talking about it with my friends that have sons and they're like yeah, that happens all the time. They get in like a fight over who yeah. has which, you know, toy and they get over it because they like big overplay over there and they come back again. Whereas the girls are like, oh, I want to go home and like all yeah. this other drama happens. And that's what we're working on. Like, is it how we are guiding them in those situations? And I always think about it like the context of work. Right. Now, I think that's a good point you brought up. And I will say I've seen women give other women the silent treatment. I've seen them be, you know, walk out of the room in a huff and a puff. I've, it's like the immaturity kind of blows my mind how like what you're talking about with your five-year-old is stuff that you and I have actually probably still experienced sometimes in the workplace, you know, and it's, it, it, yeah. it it's not helpful at all. It's, it's really not. No, I want to work on it so much so. And, and, and I know that I've been, you know, a part of the problem myself in moments too. Like right. we all, and so it's like, that's the thing, like getting to the bottom about like what's going on. That's the fact part. Like what is really coming up here? What's, right. the, what's the friction really about? And that I think, you know, it starts to help you get more clear about how to resolve it. Um, but that takes courage too. A hundred percent. Okay. Well, let's move into, this is not even like a less intense question, but I do think one of the worst parts about being a people pleaser at work is that someone might, and they probably already have, if you identify with this, take credit for your work. And this is a big question we've been asked, like, what do you do if your boss is taking credit for your work? What do you do if your coworker, I mean, what do you do if someone is taking credit for your work and you, I mean, I mean, the natural thing is to, to speak up, but there's a reason why 
you know, when people are in that meeting and someone takes credit for their work, they almost don't know what to do because they're just so shocked that anybody would do that to them. Yeah. I mean, obviously I associate a lot of that with gender bias in certain situations. So there was, and this is, this is something that I wish I had been aware of earlier in my career, you know, that positional bias I was referencing Harvard has their implicit bias, you know, global survey, and the majority of people, both men and women, still associate men as with career and women with family. So meaning that men are more well-equipped for career and women are better suited as homemakers. How that fits into what you're asking about, you know, somebody taking credit for your work is that that myth of meritocracy I mentioned earlier, and that men, you know, oftentimes that mansplaining, like taking an idea after it came out of a woman's mouth, like just two minutes earlier, I've seen this show up in a way that they kind of validate that, no, I said it and like, I own it. Like people, you may have said it, but you didn't say it in a way that's compelling enough or influencing influential enough in the room. Like, but when I said it, they did. Right. And that goes back to kind of like our our gravitation towards different community, you know, communication styles. So I do think you have to be a lot more strategic about ensuring you receive your due credit. And, you know, again, I always think relationships are core, a core, core of everything. So both relationships at your peer level and relationships going up the chain. So with your peers, you got to invest in those relationships. There's always sometimes like some, you know, you don't always have the perfect team where everybody is best friends and gets along, but um, you've got to also try to work to build that respect and have the people that you role model, how you amplify their ideas and that you've got their back, that you're listening to them and, and believe in the good of people that they're going to show up for you. And then if they don't hold them accountable afterwards, sometimes you go through the burn. But I think if you think about these things beforehand, you can really be intentional. And then the, the, the going up the chain relationship is you got to make sure that you are proactively in front of your boss and your boss's boss and other leaders so that they understand what you're capable of. And so it's not a surprise when a certain idea um, comes out of you because they know that this is like either your style or you've been working on something that, you know, goes back to that story about Anne that I shared that, you know, if it, if she had had made um, or took it, took advantage of more opportunities to, to take credit for those big things that she'd been working on and really just talk and you don't have to do it in a like, look at me, bang on my chest. It's like, just the knowledge that you learned from, from leading, you know, those projects or taking on certain responsibilities, you know, and again, women tend to be over mentored and under sponsored and having career sponsors, that means having somebody in a senior leadership level with the power and influence to, you know, really help you accelerate your career. And so we've got to have those relationships uh, everywhere. And I I think that that'll start to make a difference when, when situations like that happen or help you avoid them. A hundred percent. And what should you do if you work with a people pleaser or even if your boss is that way? How can you support them? Yeah, well, I think that the first thing is really, you know, leading by example and and, and teaching them by modeling your values. So in, in the case of just sharing the language and the background about this. So if it's, if you're working with somebody that's a people pleaser, um, you know, demonstrating that you're looking out for them and then taking them for coffee and saying like, Hey, I noticed this thing about you. And I I'm coming from a place of really wanting, you know, you to thrive here. And and I welcome your feedback about what you see in me. I I really want to have that type of relationship with you. And again, like kind of teaching these concepts and making people more aware of good girl thinking trap and the myth of meritocracy, putting a name to the pressure that you're feeling. I think it takes away its power and it helps you you know, be ready to overcome it and, and not deal with it. When it comes to 
like a boss that's that way, you know, again, you have to be really intentional and strategic about how you manage up. I mean, I could go on and on about that for all the work I've done with millennials and, and managers, you know, is really, really um, prioritizing those one-on-one conversations and making sure that they're on the calendar, they don't drop off the calendar and make sure that they're mutually beneficial, that you're kind of understanding what your boss is looking towards. Because if you understand what your boss is trying to achieve and what their goals are and a little bit of a window about what they're struggling with and why they need their team, then if they are someone that let's say is a people pleaser and is just always saying yes to their boss and like all that work is dumped back on you, you can like talk from a really rational fact-based perspective. Like I know that this is what you're trying to accomplish, but here's what ends up being at stake or being compromised because of how I see you, you know, managing that situation. Like how can I help? What can I do? Um, you know, these are brave conversations. That's why I love Brene Brown and you know her recent book, Dare to Lead. Right. This is human stuff. And I think that we have to we 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 have to be protective of our time, protective of our, our confidence. I mean, that's what we have that helps us be our best. And that's why I think we just have to start sometimes you just have to role play like my five year old daughter's doing. Role yeah. play with somebody. And that gives you the courage to do it at work. Amazing. Well, Joan, this has been incredible. I'm sure everyone is going to want to listen to this episode a few more times just because this advice is is really, really strong. Where can the listeners find you if they've got follow-up questions? And also, let's tell them about your your books, including your new book. Awesome. Well, um, you can find me at my website, joankuhl.com, J-O-A-N-K-U-H-L.com. And I'd love to hear more stories from women and collecting courage to say stories. And it's not just about, you know, you staying at your company, but really what are the brave things that you're trying to do um, to get what you deserve? I'm on Instagram and Twitter as at Joan Cool, J-O-A-N-K-U-H-L, Facebook, Joan Cool Speaker. And my new book, Dig Your Heels In, Navigate Corporate BS and Build the Company You Deserve is literally a playbook for women, although I think men will definitely benefit from it to really help her become a positive catalyst. And, you know, with tools and strategies, even scripted responses so that she can understand and feel empowered that she deserves more, but how to go about doing that from within, you know, how to be this positive catalyst of change within your organization, your school, your community. And so what I'm really excited about is the stories that we tell of trailblazing women you know, you don't have to be superhuman or have these massive resources. It's just really, really feeling connected to the change that you want to be a part of, you know, what that movement is, what the thing is that's frustrating you, how can you use that as fuel? And I just believe so strongly that we have to be so intentional right now about advancing women, making sure we have a seat at the table at every level of the chain from the mailroom to the boardroom. And equally investing in girls and, and, and teaching them with eyes wide open so they can be ready to stand up and speak out against bias. And I think that's how we close this gap for good. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Joan, thank you so much again. Um, we'll put all of this information in the show notes as well. And just again, just big thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me, Lauren. Hey there, let's take a quick break to talk about today's sponsor, Third Love. If there's anything we can all get behind, it's a great fitting bra. In the past, finding a great fitting bra was basically just me taking a good guess and hoping it worked out. 
Well, that's not the case with their love because they use data collected by over 12 million women who have taken their Fit Finder quiz to design bras with breast size and shape in mind for a perfect fit and premium feel. So not only do you get to avoid that annoying in-person trip to a store, you also get to find your perfect bra by taking a fun quiz. From there, Third Love helps you identify your real breast size and shape, and Third Love will help you find styles that fit your body. If you have any questions during the quiz like I did, you can easily connect with one of their fit stylists. As you know, I have a bit of a love affair with Third Love's classic t-shirt bra, but recently I was looking for something a little different for those summer months here in LA, which actually lasts all the way through Halloween. The dread of summer is, well, you guessed it, it's pretty hot. So I was looking for a really light bra that could take me right through the day without uncomfortable sweating or digging or anything like that. That's when I found the seamless lounge bra, which I can literally wear for 24 hours. It's perfect for everything from relaxing at home to running errands and even wearing to work. It's that comfortable. Plus, Third Love gives every customer 60 days to wear it, wash it, and put it to the test. If you don't love it, you can return it to Third Love and they'll even donate your washed bra to a woman in need. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com females. Now to find your perfect fitting and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com females for 15% off today. All right, now let's get back to the show. All right, it's that time in the show when we hear real voicemails left by you all and do our best to give you some real talk career advice. And to help, I've invited Kayleen Cahiz, who runs content at Career Condessa, back to also help give her two cents. Today's voicemail is all about how to manage your workload when you have multiple managers who all give you work to do. Let's listen in. Hi, Lauren. I'm a project manager in the entertainment industry. My name is Sarah, and my question is about juggling multiple reporting relationships at work. I work in a matrix organization, so I have a functional manager, but I also have two project leaders that I report to, and they all have different priorities for me. It's getting harder to reconcile them all. I really want to please everybody, but there's only so many hours in the day. Do you have any advice for me on how I can get them all on the same page? I appreciate your help. Thanks. Okay, Sarah, this this sounds really annoying for you. <laughs> well, Kayleen, I'll let you start. Yeah, it's kind of appropriate that you say uh, you want to please everyone, and this is the people pleaser. Episode. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, if possible, I would say the first thing, I'm all about like weekly face-to-face meetings or you know, bi-monthly whenever you can, maybe monthly. I'm all about setting up meetings to get everyone on the same page. You know, maybe you can get your three or four bosses together and say, look, this is what I'm doing for, you know, boss A, boss B, boss C, boss D, and see if you can get each of them to set up priorities. Like what's the high priority? What's the medium priority? And what are your lower priorities? And that will help you develop your workflow so that you're not, you know, otherwise your workflow just goes all over the place where maybe for boss A, you're like, all right, I'm going to do everything for them today. You know, the high, mediums, and low, and then be able to put that aside, but maybe it's better to organize more by priority. So yeah, but basically the point was set up a meeting where you can communicate that and and so that they can all see what you're doing and that you're not, you know, a machine that right. can just pick up anything that they feel like dropping. And also maybe they have zero insight into the fact that you are getting work from so many different people or exactly what's on the plate. So just 
I know as a manager, like whenever I get insight into what people have going on, it's really, really helpful. I also read this book. It's called Never Split the Difference by Christopher Voss. And it's all about negotiation tactics. And he talks about, it's called mirroring, where you repeat the last three words of what the person said. So let's say you're in a meeting with your boss and they say, you know, can you make paper copies of all these reports? And you say, so you want me to make paper copies? And then for whatever reason, this tactic is the person, like, because they have to repeat it, they think about it again. And then they'll say, well, actually, yeah, I want you to make paper copies. And you'll say, all right, I'll make the paper copies. (laughs) And I forget, he tells the story much better, but basically the person, can like while they're asking you to do something they have to like reevaluate how how big of a priority it really is you can almost like negotiate the you know getting them to truly prioritize your work because sometimes there are bosses out there where like everything's important all the time and that's that's not going to work well especially when you have three so that's something I really liked and then I would definitely also ask your managers to communicate what's coming down the pipeline or or forecasting up upcoming projects, potential new clients, and really unexpected potential workload changes because not only do they need to have that insight, but you might want to like batch your work or you might want to be able, as Kayleen said, focus on boss A and then boss D or something. And, And if you know, if you have that insight also, it can help you prioritize what you're going to ask them. Yeah. I know that pre planning is something we do at Career Contessa and it just as much as you can do it, like where you can do it, do it because it frees you up so that you're not always like, ah, when something unexpected comes and something unexpected always will come. So wherever you can, I mean, just communicating that to your managers, be like, as soon as you know, like I'm ready to roll with it. Right, right, right. I think that's really helpful. And then this just brings to mind like the first lesson I ever learned in my first quote unquote real job from my uh, boss, Kate Larkworthy. (laughs) Shout out to Kate. I was like 22 years old and she's like always cover your ass and I mean if I ever made a mistake she'd be like looks like you didn't cover your ass and and covering your ass means it's it's replying to every email it's keeping a paper trail it's making sure you confirm receipt when you get something it's just so that you're always basically safeguarding yourself yeah and over communicating so to me I think over communication and covering your ass is like the best tip I've ever learned. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the confirm receipt. Like we, we've been, we we're always kind of working with clients at career contest on the ones that confirm receipt. I swear. It's like, I'm like, yes, thank you. Cause otherwise (laughs) I feel like it's kind of lingering too about, did they get it? Did they not get it? And so that is also like, basically when you have that many bosses, you have to constantly be over communicating, not just to cover your ass, but also to free up your brain space. So you're not trying to remember, did they actually get that? Cause I mean, that's, that's more on them than on you, but you know, I'd say there's like nothing better than when you get kind of a scary email from your manager being like, did you ever take care of this? And then going through your emails and being able to forward that email back is like, yeah. One of the most rewarding feelings you'll ever feel. You're like, yes, as yeah. per the scene. <laughs> sure did. And then you can say, I think it's time for us to get a project management tool. Uh, <laughs> no, we, But in all seriousness, we use a project management tool at uh, Career Contest. We use Basecamp and we love it. And what it's also great is that you we do all the assignments for projects through that. And so as a manager, you know, I can see I can assign Kayleen project and she can, you know, we can respond back and forth in there, but I can also see who else has assigned Kayleen projects. And so that is another way 
for you, these managers to have insight into your workload without you always having to feel like you have to email them and be like, I, I did this, I did this, I did this. So, you know, those are tools that are literally meant for this kind of stuff, what you're going through. So I would also maybe bring up, hey, could we start utilizing Basecamp or a tool like that and see if that helps with, you know, your workload and feeling like you have more clarity about what's most important and has to get done today. So... All right. Well, I think that, I mean, like I said, that's a really annoying question, but I, (laughs) you know, I I also think that while you're, this is actually really good learning for you to be able to manage, like, yes, you have lots of bosses, but at some point you might have lots of clients or you might be a manager with lots of reports. And so it's, it's actually, um, I know it maybe doesn't feel this way, but it's like a really good training situation for managing a lot of different, um, people and, and, you know, their projects. So, Anyway, well, thank you for listening to this episode of The Females. If you want to leave us a voicemail, you know we would absolutely love that. Um, we, we really, really enjoy this part of the podcast and getting to hear what you guys are working through. So give us a call. It's 844-FEMALES. That's 844-336-2457. We'll be back next Tuesday with Gabby Dunn, author of Bad With Money. But until then, you can follow us on Instagram at our new Instagram handle at the females podcast, share this episode with your work wives, leave us a review and listen to this sneak peek of next week's episode. So you would look at us and be like, oh, they're making the same amount of money. But when it comes down to like what we both actually have in the bank, hers is much different than mine. So you can't judge. You cannot judge based on people's income or success level. What like I'm cleaning up 10 years of family and mistakes and all this kind of stuff that she's not. So like you really can't judge people based on their income or how good their job is.